Let's pray for my message this morning. Uh, just it's a, it's, a, it's a difficult message again, as many are in Leviticus. So let's pray. Lord, I am very attuned to uh, that, that last hymn we sang. Thank you for Ryan planning that, that I need Thee every hour I need Thee. And I know, Lord, at this hour, I need Thee. I need You, Lord. Just help, help guide how to, how to talk about these, these difficult things. God, perhaps there are uh, God, those ensnared in some of these things here with us this morning. This could be a, a key turning point. God, a, a key time in which victory is, is held and seen and helped. So, Lord, we pray, God, by Your grace, You would be with us this morning, that You would be especially our teachers, that You would, um, God, especially be one to, to help me to know how to, how to share things tactfully and wisely. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the, the difficulty of Your Word. God, that if we can tackle Leviticus, God, we can tackle any book in the Bible. And so, Lord, we pray You'd teach us to be lovers of Your Word. God, lovers of Your grace, lovers of the Gospel. God, help us in these things, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, the greatest thing about America is that you can do whatever you want to do. You can go to school, you can work a job, you can pursue your hobbies, pursue your passions, whatever you like. And the worst thing about America is that you can do whatever you want to do. Express your sin in a multitude of different ways. It says in Romans chapter 1, verse 32, that some people are inventors of evil. And that happens in America. And uh, one particular evil has come about in America beginning in the 1960s, known as the sexual revolution, when uh, many balked against the social norms of heterosexual monogamy, one man with one woman for life. And many sought their freedom to express their sexuality, however it is that they wanted to express it. Before marriage, outside of marriage, with the same sex. And with the invention of the pill, sex without consequences. Or they say. Soon afterwards came the legalization of abortion to deal with the results, the unwanted results of sex. Many of these things are commonplace now. In fact, even homosexuality is taking our, our country by storm. So enter the 1960s and the sexual revolution and enter the 2000 with the internet. And sexual expression has been, I believe, taken to a whole new level. Um, images, videos of deviant behavior are easily accessible anywhere in private. And th those three things can spell disaster for marriage, for Christian marriage. I'm calling this morning for us to take part in a, a counter-revolution to the sexual revolution. My message this morning is called sexual de-revolution. My spell check showed that's a new word, so it's always fun to invent a word. 
But I want us to take our steps to undo everything that's been done since the 1960s. Tall ask, task. There's no way we're going to do it, but we can put our dent in the universe. Because this is exactly what Israel was called to do, was to live counterculturally as they entered the land of, of Canaan. People say the Bible isn't relevant, especially even the book of Leviticus, but as we look at what we see today, I, I say there's nothing more relevant in our society today than our text this morning. Leviticus 18, if you haven't opened there, I invite you to, to do so. Uh, again, Leviticus 18 finds our way right in the, the latter half of the book of Leviticus. You remember chapters 1 through 15 speak about coming to God. They, they speak about um, just priests and sacrifices and clean and unclean. How it means that we can come to God. And then the pinnacle, Leviticus chapter 16, the Day of Atonement, when we, we truly, that one day, that one sacrifice for the year with the high priest, really come to God. And then beginning in chapter 17, and really beginning in earnest with chapter 18, we see how to live, our, our conduct, our conduct towards God, our, our conduct towards others. In fact, Leviticus 17 through 27 has been called the Holiness Code. That is the, the code of holiness that God has for us and how, how to live. This is what God prescribed to the Jews. He wanted them to live holy lives. It is what He prescribes for us today as well, to live a, a holy life. And after 17, which was kind of a transition, the first order of business that God gets down to is our, our sexuality. And here's my first point this morning is let's be different what God called the Israelites to do is to be different. Look at verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived. And you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes you shall follow My rules and keep My statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep My statutes and My rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Remember, when these words were written, Israel was freed from slavery in Egypt. And they were headed to the promised land of Canaan. And both of these nations, Egypt and Canaan, were filled with, with wicked people. And God called them to live differently than both of them. His people were called to walk in His ways. Not to walk, as verse 3 says, in their statutes, in their rules, which was as pagan as America, in some ways more. And Israel was to, to, to pull out of that, to be distinctly different. You shall therefore, verse 5, keep My statutes and My rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. Now this was written to Israel, easily applicable to us. As believers in Christ, God is calling us to live different and distinct lives. Lives that's different than the culture around us. In fact, consider the following New Testament admonitions. Ephesians 4.17. And I pulled these. There are lots of verses that could be pulled that just talk about living holy lives. But these distinctly talk about let's not live like the Gentiles lived. But let's live as new creatures in Christ. Exactly like God saying, don't live like the Egyptians or the Canaanites, but let's live 
like God followers. So live like Christ followers. Ephesians 4.17 Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. And it goes on to describe how darkened they are and the, the futility of their minds being hardened. Their, their hearts are hardened. They have no understanding of God. That's who they are. Don't walk. You used to be that way, but don't walk any longer that way, but walk in the newness of light. Next one, 1 Peter 4, verse 3. For the time is past, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. In other words, your time has passed. You were involved in that, but now you've come out of that and don't live like the Gentiles anymore. Live differently. And pertaining to our subject today, look at how applicable this is when we talk about sexual morality. For this is the will of God, 1 Thessalonians 4. Your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Now, this, this, is your, this is God's will for your life. People are saying, well, what's God's will for my life? What's God's will for my life? Here it is. Your sanctification, particularly your sexual sanctification. Control your body. Not, not like the Gentiles who just walk in their own passions, but you, you church family, walk differently. Not like the Egyptians, not like the Canaanites, but as followers of God. This is what God calls all of us as God's children to be and to do, is to, to live differently than those around us. To live differently than the unsaved. We should spend our Sundays differently. We should use different language. We should keep a different crowd. We should watch different movies. We should listen to different music. We should spend our time differently. We should have different interests and different passions. God should be our interest and our passion. His Word should be our study. His people should be of utmost importance to us. We should hate our sin. We should love our God. And according to Galatians 6.14, we should boast only in the cross. That's, that's the sort of life we should live. Are you living that life? There are many professing followers of Christ who don't live like that. They speak like the world. They keep company with the world. They watch the world's things. They listen to what the world says. They have no passion for God, His people or His Word. The Bibles collect dust. Are you, are you living differently? Or are you living like the Gentiles? God calls us to be distinct. We are to be holy, as 1 Peter 1, 14 and 15 says. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Do you notice there even that, that your former ignorance, you lived in those passions. But get out of there and live a holy life. To be holy is to, is to be clean and pure and righteous. But also there's something, and I think I spoke about this last week, is that the holiness of God is more than just purity. 
It's like this utter distinctness, right? When the, when the angels and the seraphim were around the throne of God, they didn't just say, clean, clean, clean is the Lord of hosts. They didn't just say, righteous, righteous, righteous is the whole Lord of hosts. That is involved in holiness. But they said, like utterly distinct and you are majestic and different than us. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we ought to live different from the world as God is different than we are. Let me just ask you, if someone comes into your house, how does it smell? Now, I'm not talking about the litter box that you have there, which aromatizes the whole house if you're not careful. I'm not talking about Rover, okay? I'm talking about just the flavor of your house, the interactions of your family, the things you've posted, the things you have out, your reading material, the, the prominence of your flat screen idol, the, the, the places that, that come. What, what's, what's your house smell like? Does it have the aroma of Christ? When people walk into your home, do they know there's something different here? I remember uh, selling our house in DeKalb and uh, one of the, this is a dozen years ago, but one of the people who looked the house worked with my brother-in-law. Um, and so he, he looked at it and then got back to my brother-in-law and said, hmm, your, your brother-in-law is religious, huh? Because there's an aroma, right? Just the, the things around the house are, are Godward directed. And he, looking at my house to buy it, picked that up. Now, he didn't buy it, but he, he picked up and understood that what our house was like. What about when, with people you interact with in the marketplace or at work? Can they tell you're different? Can they tell you're different? Can, can they hear what you're, you're talking and saying and attitudes, your, your behavior towards your spouse? Do they, do they know you're different? Or, or maybe at uh, a grocery store, or maybe at a furniture outlet, or wherever you go, do they, they notice you're different? Now, I'm not talking about wearing frumpy clothes, all right? I'm restraining from some examples here. I'm not talking about hairstyles are way out of a date. Like, oh, look at those people. They're, they're different. No, I'm talking about difference in behavior because Leviticus 18 is talking about difference in behavior. It's what you do mostly. The calls to be different. Um, you've been to Chick-fil-A? How many of you have been to Chick-fil-A? Most all of you. And, um, you know, that's, that's a different place, is it? And, uh, you know, on, on the one hand, it's not. There's nothing special. It's upscale fast food restaurant. They make a good chicken sandwich and you pay for the good chicken sandwich, right? On the other hand, it, it always makes an impression on me wherever I go. I think I just, I just like forget. When I'm served, I often say thank you. And what does the employee respond with? My pleasure. Right? You, you remember this? You've been there? You, you catch this? Yes? And it always strikes me like, that's different. They don't do that at McDonald's. They don't do that at, at Burger King. But they always say, oh, it's my pleasure. Now, now they're taught and trained to say that, okay? But it's, it's the culture and, and everything you know about the background of of a restaurant that's closed on Sunday when major opportunities for profits um, is making that decision. It's, it's, to, 
is to just push a caring environment. And I don't know if the workers there are more delighted to serve me than at McDonald's, you know, but it's what they say. It's my pleasure. And I always walk away from there saying, there's something different about that place. And it always strikes me. It's so different than Egypt. It's so different than Canaan that people can't help but notice. Do they notice you? Now I know, I know some do. I've heard testimonies from some of you. I've heard testimonies over the years of co-workers who give testimony about the way they act. Oh, you're the religious one. Right? They, they know that there's something different about you that because you've been able to live with them right, 40 hours a week and they can pick that up and that's good. But if they're not picking that up, I would encourage you to think very carefully about the way you're living. What about your neighbors? Do your neighbors pick that up? I remember when we moved into our neighborhood a dozen years ago, um, they, people, as we met them, found out that I was a pastor and they, they said, yeah, there's another minister that lives just right down here too. And um, I said, oh, really? Okay, we never met that minister because we just met a faithful man a couple doors down who was faithful to share the gospel so much so that other people thought that he was a pastor. He was a painter, not a pastor. But he was making a difference in people's lives and he genuinely loved people and served them and just took time with them. He had a reputation for being passionate about Jesus. People took note. So let's be different. Let's be holy. Let's go on to my second point. Let's be pure. Verses 6 through 23. And this really is the crux of the passage. This shows a way in which we should be distinct. Um, And particularly here, he speaks about not living like the Egyptians and, and Canaanites in the way that they lived in their sexual immorality. When Moses speaks here about uncovering nakedness, he's talking about marital intimacy is what he's talking about here. He's a euphemism and a ton of regulations. Let's just read through this. Verse 6. None of you shall approach any one of his close relatives to uncover nakedness. I am the Lord. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, which is the nakedness of your mother, She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. It is your father's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your sister, your father's daughter, or your mother's daughter, whether brought up in the family or in another house. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your son's daughter or of your daughter's daughter, for their nakedness is their own nakedness, your own nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife's daughter brought up in your father's family since she is your sister. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister. She is your father's relative. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister for she is your mother's relative. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother. That is, you shall not approach his wife. She is your aunt. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and of her daughter. And you shall not take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. They are relatives. It is depravity. 
And you shall not take a woman as a rival wife to her sister, uncovering her nakedness while her sister is still alive. You shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness while she's in her menstrual uncleanness. You shall not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife and so make yourself unclean with her. You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Molech and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. And you shall not lie with any animal and so make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall any woman give herself to an animal to lie with it. It is a perversion. You think how many times I think I said naked there more times than I've ever said it before at Rock Valley Bible Church. And I just I just read the Bible. It's euphemistic. You know what it's talking about. Now, trying to keep all this straight, right, will will make your head spin. But it, it says here that a man shall not marry his mother, his aunt, his stepmother, or his aunt by marriage. That's like that's like up on the the, the older level, just the the moms or the aunts or the sisters, and 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 you shall not just marry mother, but also with others. A man shall not marry his sister or half-sister, stepsister, stepdaughter, sister-in-law or daughter-in-law. There's mostly just kind of on the, on the peer level or maybe even down a little bit. So we talk about a, a daughter-in-law and it even includes granddaughter and stepdaughter. Now we can go into all this, but basically it's all summed up in verse 6. None of you shall approach any one of his close relatives to uncover nakedness. Just, these are just close relatives, be that a, a mother or an aunt or a stepmother or a stepsister, right? When, when someone comes in, even if biologically not related, if they come into your family, uh, you're not to touch them sexually. Now, here's the interesting thing. I don't think any of us are in danger of this this morning. Um, just there are, are laws in America, law in our, our land, um, that we can't marry a close relative. But this even goes beyond that, just having improper relationships with close relatives. But there's danger in that because we know today of, of the danger of the potential offspring. Genetic deficiencies are, are just magnified because of the gene pool and the crossing of that and you know what's, what's happening with that. That the brothers and sisters, when they have children, oftentimes have some major problems with them because of their similar deficiencies. They didn't understand that back then, but, but God did and said, stay away. But one of the things that I want to really apply this to is to consider how Jesus spoke about marriage and adultery. Matthew 5, 27 and 28. We've heard this before. Jesus said, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with a lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And it's at this point that this euphemism for marital intimacy, uncovering the nakedness, I think is really appropriate for us. Because what causes a man or a woman to lust but to view nakedness? And in our society, nakedness is all around. Twenty years ago, you want to see some nakedness, you need to purchase a magazine or maybe a VHS or a 
a DVD in a store that many of us probably wouldn't even go into, but today it's all around. It's in our pockets. We carry in our pockets potential for uncovering nakedness. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you're blessed. If you know what I'm talking about, know that we live in very dangerous times. To marry a close relative brings physical danger, potentially to offspring. To uncover nakedness will bring spiritual danger. In fact, look at what Jesus said about this spiritual danger. He says, the very next verse If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now, Jesus is speaking hyperbole here because... Cutting off your hand, if your hand is a problem, cutting it off, well, a stump, you got another hand. And, and poking your eye out, you still have a mind. And poking both eyes out, you still are guilty of this. But what he's saying is, is an obvious danger. Viewing nakedness has the power to send you to hell. That's what he's saying. You take radical action. It's bad for your eternal life. It's bad for our current lives as well. I read an e-book this week. It's a free e-book from Covenant Eyes, Christian Internet Accountability and Filtering Company. Just look for Covenant Eyes. I think it's right on their main, main page. Free e-book, Your Brain on Porn. And uh, describes how Seeing such images desensitizes your brain. And um, I mean, you just think about anything, right? You're you're in a you're in you're in a loud place, and what is your what is your what does your brain do? It like starts to cloud out all of those loud noises so that you can tolerate it. Or you're in a bright place, and right your your pupils contract. You 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 pretty soon adjust to that. And so likewise, the more exposure you have, your brain gets used to more exposure. And the more your brain gets used to it, the more is needed for the same pleasure. And the pleasure of marital intimacy decreases correspondingly. So as you seek more and more and more marital intimacy, the pleasure goes down and down and down. It can't compete in some ways. And I say men and women increasingly more for the sake of your own pleasure and joy, which is marital intimacy, stay away. I just say stay away. This is the will of God. First Thessalonians 4, we read that earlier, is to abstain from sexual immorality. Just stay away from it. See, God's plans are always best. One man with one woman for life and any deviation in that plan will bring hardship and pain and and toil in your life, even if that deviation's only in the mind. Because porn is no different than a powerful drug. Initially produce a high, 
But with prolonged use, it needs more and more of that same drug to produce the same high. And soon you have addicts who will do whatever it takes to get their drug. It's the same. In fact, that's how you should think of these matters. There are physiological symptoms that drug use does. There's dependence, there's craving, there's becoming controlling. There is lying and deception, manipulation and anger in order to get that drug. And like other drugs, the effects here are devastating. They're devastating on women. They're devastating on marriages. They're devastating in relationships. As people get consumed by it, it it like clouds everything out. I've seen marriages crushed by the power of porn. You know, an entire industry has arisen dealing with the effects of that. Viagra and Cialis, if you know what they are, then you think about that. Testosterone supplements, a whole host of other pills to try to solve a problem. They help cure the problem of impotence that has magically appeared in the last 10 or 15 years. Why do you think it's just magically appeared? Do you think it's any accident that it's arisen this day of widespread Internet access? And hearing a reading of the statistics of how prevalent this is, that this is just arisen. And so, like so many other things, just get a drug to try to medicate to solve this problem. I believe there's a one-to-one correspondence. When you see something about some of these drugs, you should think it's because of wrong Internet use. And there's an easy cure, by the way. Stop uncovering nakedness. It's the cure. I've read some articles on that. That is the cure. As I'm saying this morning, let's... Let's be pure. And I know that in a room this size, these probably aren't idle words. I know in a group this size, probably several, perhaps many. This is, this is great struggle. This is great sin. You're in its grip. And... Um, you need to know at this point, my point is this, right? Let's, let's be pure. Like, hey, let's do this. Um, we, we, we sang a song today, Ryan. I, I forget exactly the words. Um, I was going to write them down. I didn't get them. All I have is Christ. Um, would I be yours and yours alone and so all might see? Um, let's see. And... Uh, where is this about? It will all all be you. Um, here it is. Um, uh, here it is. Would I be yours alone and live so all might see? The strength to follow your command could never come from me. The strength to follow. Your command can never come 
through me. And, and here's, here's where gospel comes, right? Because it's not just say, okay, let's do it. But rather it's to say, let's, let's seek God's strength and help. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for your good pleasure, right? We work out our salvation. We, let's be pure working at it, but realizing that it's God's strength that's going to get there. So let's seek God for the, for the strength. But, and that's the gospel. We need that. Let me give some other practical help, though. Thomas Chalmers preached probably one of the most famous sermons ever, probably second to uh, Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God, preached a sermon called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. Let me read what he said, and you won't understand it. Let me summarize what he said, and you probably won't understand it. Let me try to say it in my words, and you might not understand it. Let me give some illustrations, and hopefully you'll understand it. I've read about half the sermon, and... Um, it must be, must be my mind that it, it took me about four hours to read half this sermon because it was so dense in trying to figure out what he said. Probably some of the language too, but it would be a good thing for some men's group to read. Here's what Thomas Chalmers says. A moralist will be unsuccessful in trying to displace his love of the world by reviewing the ills of the world. Misplaced affections need to be replaced by the far greater power of the affections of the gospel. Now, if you've read the sermon or know what it's talking about, that makes sense, but it, it may not. But here's, here's what he argued. Thomas Chalmers argued that you will be unsuccessful in displacing your love for the world by merely reviewing how, how bad those things are. But rather, to overcome sin, you need to, to replace your affections for the world with a, a greater affection. All right, let me say it another way. It, it, in other words, it doesn't, think, doesn't help to think of all the bad things that will happen to you because of your sin. You need to think of something better that you enjoy and have a passion for greater than those ill consequences. I mean, for instance, just um, think about dieting. It's not enough to tell you, just don't eat those foods. Just don't eat those foods. Because they're bad for you. Because they're going to make you happy. You'll take you off your diet if you do that. Last night, Yvonne made my favorite dessert. Peanut butter fingers. This is, I'm not sure how you describe it. Peanut butter, mush, oatmeal, female cookie, peanut butter cookie down below. Okay. Jed, who's allergic to peanuts, sorry about this. You're missing out on one of the greatest pleasures of life. But it's got peanuts on the bottom. And then chocolate chip layer that's, that's coated into a, a chocolate layer about, oh, three millimeters thick, something like that, and topped off with this uh, peanut-flavored frosting. Hmm. I confess, I had maybe six squares last night. <laughs> each, each of these squares were like... You know, we're, they're rich, and they're maybe an inch and a half by an inch and a half. And I just, it's been a while since we've had them. A good reason why it's been a while since we've had them. And I knew that I shouldn't have them. But at that moment, I didn't care. Um, I knew I was going off my diet. I knew it was something I, I, I shouldn't have eaten. 
Um, but is that not how sin works? What do you do? You suppress the truth and unrighteousness, Romans 1. You believe a lie and then walk in your sin. And uh, what I needed at that moment was a greater pleasure to get me out of that, that cookie rather than just kind of saying, oh, it's so bad for me. I needed to say, I love the mornings when I stand on that scale and see that number go down and down and down and down. And I love that so much. That pleasure doesn't compare. And I love looking down at a waistline that's trimmer and trimmer and trimmer. And I love that so much that the food that I shouldn't eat doesn't, doesn't even compare. It's all a battle when you battle sin with your pleasures. Which one is a greater pleasure? See, that's what Thomas Chalmers is saying. A moralist, right, one without the gospel, it will be unsuccessful in trying to displace his love of the things of the world by reviewing the ills of the world, saying his, his cookies are bad, he shouldn't do that. Misplaced affections need to be replaced by a far greater power of the affection of the gospel. So he, he used, as I, I remember in his uh, sermon, an example of this woman who had a, a gaming habit of some type, like going to a gambling place. And, um, you know, context-wise here in Rockford, would be like going to the slots or going to some kind of place where you can pull that lever and lose a lot of money and send a lot of it out of our city, okay? And um, anyway, got this desire. And this person, I think it was a woman in, the, in this example that he gave, knew that it was bad, Knew that she shouldn't do it. Knew that she'd probably lose money. And yet, faced with that and a night at home alone, she chose that. Because her home alone wasn't very pleasurable, but at least she'd be there, say, with people, and and it would be more fun to her than this. But he says, suppose, though that she's got some company coming over. Some company she loves. Some company she loves keeping. Well, she can look forward to that. And she will clean her house. And she'll get ready. And she'll cook some food to be able to have that company over and see what's happening. She won't go out to the place of gaming because her delight and pleasure is in the, the people coming over rather than in the gaming See what's happened? A greater pleasure has replaced her other pleasure. It's not enough to say, bad, 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 bad. Rather, what needs to be said is, this is so much better. This is so much better than this. And I think it's a matter of which pleasure wins the day. It sins the same way. It's not enough to tell you how bad your sin is. It's not enough that you should tell yourself the consequences of these things. You shouldn't do those things. I just know as a pastor, uh, it's, it's to say, no, they're bad, they're bad, they're bad, and try to ingrain that in you, that's not going to change. What's going to change you ultimately is to have a greater desire and a greater passion and something that you desire more because I want to earn and win your passions with a greater passion. And you do too if you want to overcome such sin. Overcome it with greater passion, greater delight. And where do you find that? You find that in Jesus. You find that in the gospel. 
You find that in the pleasure of God and the, the joy of obeying His Word. You guys know what that joy is like when, you, when you've submitted yourself to God and you've walked in obedience to God and you kind of reflect upon that. And not in a proud and arrogant way. You just say, you know, God, I was faithful in that. And there are good feelings there. As opposed to, you know, the feelings of sin and the consequences of sin. And afterwards, you just kind of feel awful. So likewise here, fight that, that passion with a, a greater passion of loving and obeying God. Find your pleasure in living for the one who died for you. And right, and you can say with Asaph, Psalm 73, verse 25, Whom have I in heaven but you? And beside you there is nothing on earth that I desire. When that becomes true, every sin is conquerable. When Christ and when God is of greater desire and delight than the things of the world, than anything in the world, of course, that's the way to, to conquer sin. Now, Asaph, you read Psalm 73, was on the border. He saw the prosperity of the wicked and said, oh, I, I came close to stumbling, but I saw their end and my desire and delight is in you, O Lord. I just encourage you, church family, to battle sexual sin a similar way. Find a greater desire. Find a greater passion. And pursue that in a greater way. Trust God that though there is pleasure in this sin, know that there's greater pleasure in following after God and doing things God's way. It's a greater pleasure. You want to maximize your marital pleasure? Stay away from the sinful images. And you'll have more pleasure in your marriage. Okay, well, let's move to my third point in the Lord's Supper. So again, we're celebrating the Lord's Supper every week, in six weeks leading up to Easter, just to prepare us for that, just to get a taste of what it's like to do every week, but not throughout the year, lest to get just normal place for us. But here's my last point. Let's escape judgment. Let's be different. Let's be pure. Let's escape judgment. So verses 24 through 30. About, by the way, I'm, I'm skipping 20 through 23 because they're dealt with in chapter 20. Okay, and so we'll just take them one after another, right? Right, what it says there, right? Whether it's adultery, whether that's Molech worship, which is exactly equivalent to our abortion today, whether that's homosexuality, whether it's bestiality, we'll, we'll deal with all those perversions in two weeks from now when we get to Leviticus chapter 20. But right now, so we'll go through 24 through 30. Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things. For by all of these, the nations I'm driving out before you have become unclean and the land become unclean so that I punished its iniquity and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you shall keep my statutes and my rules and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For the people of the land who were before you did all of these abominations so the land became unclean, lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean as it vomited out the nation that was before you. For everyone who does any of these abominations, the persons who do them shall be cut off from among their people. So keep my charge never to practice any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you. 
and never to make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord. These are warnings of impending judgment upon those who continue in the sin, particularly sexual sin, I think, in this point. Um, For Israel, this meant expulsion from the land, verse 28. Lest the land vomit you out. And I'll talk about that imagery. It's very appropriate. But the logic goes like this. 24 and verse 27. The Canaanites practiced these things. As a result of practicing these things, the land became unclean. As a result of the land becoming unclean, I vomited these Canaanites out of the land. And so, Israel, don't you practice these things, thereby making the land unclean, and I vomit you out of that land. It's almost as if um, these sinful practices are like landfills of Epikek. You know what Epikek is. Yes? Epikek is uh, some medicine you take so as to vomit. Okay? Um, I have a family experience with Epikek. I don't even think you can buy it over the counter nowadays. Maybe you never could have. I'm not sure. You can? Okay. You can buy Okay. Maybe it's, it's good. Like if someone saw something you want to induce vomiting. Okay. So maybe it's a good thing. It's a what? The baby section. Okay. Good. Okay. So you all can get this if you want to have the same experience that my family had. My sisters were teenagers dealing with typical teenage skinniness kind of kind of things. They weren't anorexic of any sort. But I remember this was some Thanksgiving, some Christmas time. You guys can talk to your aunt sometime about this. This will be good next time we get together at Easter. Um, and they ate so much, they felt bloated. And they said, oh, don't, again, don't do this at home. This would be a bad habit to get into. But they, did, they only did it once. It was a terrible experience for them. They said, oh, maybe we should take some Epicac. Just get this out of us so it doesn't like go into our, our, our fat, into our stomach and stuff like that. So they took some and proceeded then to vomit and vomit and throw up all this all this dinner that they had. And it wasn't a pleasurable experience for them, by the way. But they became bulimic that one day when they, when they had it. Um, but these unclean practices are like God's divine epicac that God will throw people up. He, he's doing that with the Canaanites, throwing them out. And it will happen to Israel as well. And for Israel, failure to follow these ways meant judgment, meant death. And I do believe, according to the Sermon on the Mount, that there's a close parallel with us as well. Is that death can come if you continue in your sin. Isn't that what Jesus says? If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter heaven with one eye than to have both eyes and go to hell. He's talking about sexual lust. Cut off your right hand and throw it from you. It's better to, to go to heaven with one arm than with two and go to hell. What happened to Israel temporally, getting out of the land, dying, is, is just as severe. And I, I do believe that's why I put it with these words. All right, let's be different, let's be pure, and let's escape judgment, that we might escape judgment. Well, how about some hope? You ready for some hope? I thought I've given you some hope with Thomas Chalmers, but let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 
So take your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And with this, we'll transition to the Lord's Supper because there's a, there's a great place to transition here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Someday when I preach through 1 Corinthians, I'm going to entitle it First Americans and Second Americans because the church is just like America. The context here in chapter 6, Paul's dealing with sexual immorality. Look at chapter 6, verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Give some reasons why. And I think there's a reason why this starts off the holiness code so prominently in Leviticus 18. Because every other sin a a person commits outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. You know the word for sexually immoral is here, don't you? Pornea, the pornographer, sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. There's the context. He's just saying, flee from it. Get away from it. It's the call. And, and, and the implication of this is, if you continue in this, there's no hope. But there is hope that these things can be in your past. Verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, and there's what we're talking about here, Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, these practices are incongruent with the people of God. They're incongruent with entering the kingdom of God. You can read Revelation 21 to see those people who are outside the kingdom. It's not exactly the same list, but a similar type of thing that that to behave this way disqualifies you for entering the kingdom. Now, it's not that we earn our way there, but here's what it is. If you're trusting in Christ, if you are a new creation, he's going to change and transform you. These qualities are not going to be part of your life. But look here, verse 11, and here's where hope is. Is it such were some of you? In other words, those in Corinth were sexually immoral people. And they were idolaters. In fact, the whole chunk of 1 Corinthians is all talking about idolatry and how, how they're, they were so involved with it, even to see food sacrificed to idols, they're so caught up with that that they, it's so part of them. They, they were that, but they're not that anymore. Because if they had been, if they would continue in that, they wouldn't Inherit the kingdom of God. And that just goes right on down the list. They, they used to be adulterers. They used to practice homosexuality. They used to be thieves. They used to be greedy. They used to be drunkards. They used to be revilers. They used to be swindlers. But now they're not because such were some of you. That was your practice in the past. But now in Christ Jesus, and here is the promise to all who believe in Christ, is that you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. That's what you were, but now through Jesus you have been washed and cleansed 
and sanctified. The imagery here about being washed, obviously, is just washed like we saw last week and two weeks ago in Leviticus 17, washed in His blood. There's a a transition to the Lord's Supper as we think about the, the blood of Christ which cleanses us, which washes us. His sacrifice upon the cross is how we are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. It is Jesus who has cleansed us. And so this morning, I, I just would, would encourage you, if this is a, a sin, an ongoing sin, is to take steps to, to rid that. But it's, it's more than just willpower. Find your greater passion. Um, trust in God. Say, God, I need your strength. It's a bondage on me. I trust you that your ways are better than my ways. I want to pursue after the things of you. Help me, God, and pursue Christ. Right? Set your mind on the things above. Um, just even as I, I read this ebook, you know, one of the things that it, it talked about was just in, in internalizing Scripture into your heart and your mind, so that you just you can think about that rather than thinking about other things. Right? Walking in the the right way, understanding what it means to be called. It's a, Christian, a believer, find some accountability in these things. I would encourage you to do that so it would be in your past. And if it's in your present today, I would encourage you to repent of it today. And say, God, wash me, cleanse me, put it in my past. I might walk with you. Well, let's pray just as we think about the, the Lord's Supper. <clears throat> Father, these are, these are heavy words. It's sort of the words where the rubber meets the road. It's sort of those words, O oh God, where we see what we're made of. We see what You have done or haven't done in our lives. We would pray, O oh Lord, that You would do business with us here this morning. God, for those in sin's grip, I pray by Your grace You would would release them. May they walk rightly in your power, God, not their own. I pray for this greater pleasure perspective, God, that that would indeed be true, that you would break the power of canceled sin. As a believer in Christ, that sin has been canceled. So cancel that sin, O oh God, in us. Break that power of sin. And Lord, as once again, we, we celebrate this week, again, the Lord's Supper. I think this is three weeks in a row now. We're coming in humility and we're coming with repentant hearts to You. And realizing that in and of ourselves, we, we don't deserve anything. We, we deserve being vomited, God. But such for the case, First Peter wrote to that, the time has passed for You to have carried out those desires because that was such were some of you. Those in Thessalonica walked in the Gentiles' way, and now they find the way of God is to follow you in the way of sexual purity. And so, Lord, we pray that this morning would be a day of, of de-revolution, of counter-revolution, if only in this spot, in this place, Love's Park, small group of people, God, may you delight to free us from the bondage of these things. And may we delight in Jesus who forgives us all our transgressions, who makes us one, who makes us whole. 
God, so give us grace. Help us, oh, oh God, as we think about his body and think about his blood, as we have done so often before. God, cause it to reflect, to, to deep into our minds as it's the greatest pleasure we have of, of boasting in Christ and in his righteousness, not in our own. And may that be our strength for days to come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.